Welcome to The Drift, your resource on all things business strategy, entrepreneurship, and leadership. I'm your host, Aloiza, and today's guest is the founder and CEO of Alavi, Michelle Razavi. With experiences as a founding instructor at Core Wellness, a group fitness instructor at Equinox, and uncovering a need to create great-tasting functional snacks, Michelle and the Lavi team are on a mission to elevate performance through collagen-boosted protein products, among others. Welcome, Michelle. Thank you so much. Excited to be here. Oh my gosh, I'm so excited to have you on, hear your story, and then also talk about all the exciting things that have happened over the past few weeks. So just go ahead and get started here. Can you share with us a little background on yourself and what got you started? Yeah, definitely. So I'm one of the founders of Alavi, a wellness brand based right here in LA on a mission to help our consumers feel their best by delivering delicious on-the-go nutrition they can enjoy daily. The idea started when my co-founder Nikki and I were juggling full-time corporate jobs and teaching fitness classes at Equinox, where we basically lived out of our gym bags. We were waking up at 5 in the morning, teaching a class, working all day, teaching another class, and we wouldn't get home until 8 or 9 p.m. And so we relied on protein bars to keep us going, but personally struggled with all the options out there. In a surprisingly crowded market, there was frustration in every corner. The filling protein bars would cause major GI issues, such as gas, bloating, I don't need to go on, from the dairy and sugar alcohols. The energy bars would keep me full for all of 10 minutes and spike my blood sugar levels because it was just straight sugar. And the healthier bars were just an awful experience. They would stick to my teeth or crumble in my bags from the chalky texture. So there was this white space in really creating a truly elevated protein bar that hadn't existed. And furthermore, you know, a, a more convenient way to integrate collagen um, into a more convenient form factor, because at that point there was just pills and powders and broth soups, and there wasn't something that really could go with the on-the-go consumer. And so, you know, unfulfilled with our corporate jobs, it was pretty divine timing for my co-founder and I to really be at this pinnacle in our, in our life, in our career, where we wanted to extend our passion for wellness from teaching fitness classes to something bigger. And at the same time, solve our pain points with a product we knew other consumers would pay for. And so we took our personal savings that we set aside for, for grad school to get an MBA and bootstrapped the lobby to bring it to the market in just five months. My God, and just five months. And then also a quick little side note, that is all amidst a pandemic too. Goodness exactly. gracious. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, I if I had known that quitting my job months before the pandemic and bootstrapping a company, I don't know <laughs> if I would advise everyone <laughs> to do that. But, you know, it's just the ultimate story of resilience and strength and grit mm. and you know, to have our brand stand for that, that is just so great, especially during the pandemic to be that, you know, story for people that they could latch on to and be a part of that was really cool to to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And I definitely want to unpack that a little bit more too. And I think though, what I want to start off with just to kind of set the tone is you're exactly right when it comes to having that feeling of self-fulfillment within a corporate job. I mean, if you take a look at the past year and a half or two, the pandemic has really spearheaded this this need to really evaluate where you are in your career and making sure that it is filling your cup. So unfortunately, um, there may be some people out there that still are lacking in that self-fulfillment. Would you have any advice for them or how would you encourage them to start taking that first step to start seeking fulfillment in their career? I love this question so much. So I heard this nugget of wisdom a while back that fulfillment comes from 
doing something that you would do without money or where time flies by so quickly for you when you're in that flow state. And so I would encourage anyone to just pay attention to where you spend your free time, what gives you energy, what lights you up, what comes naturally to you, what keeps your attention for a long period of time in this age of quick scroll and, and keep leaning into that and exploring that and see where it takes you. I would also encourage people to follow people on Instagram who have taken the leap to pursue a career and, and find that they find fulfilling. And it doesn't have to be entrepreneurship. It could be anything that's fulfilling to them. And, and that seeing is believing is really important in creating that neural connection of what's possible is so expansive to anyone looking for inspiration. So I'd start, start there and just looking inwards and looking at yourself and paying attention and then also paying attention and observing others too. Oh, that's beautiful. And that's exactly it. Um, I love the fact that you're really starting more from like that self-reflection perspective because a lot of the times and technology, social media definitely has its pros and cons, but one of the pros that is given us is by allowing us this new platform to see what are the possibilities. But you're exactly right. In order to really resonate with those possibilities, we also have to have more of like that internal alignment ourselves to make sure that that is something that we want. That, that is something that we want in life. 100%. Along those lines then, you know, I think a lot we are constantly talking about work-life balance, right? And you and I talked about this too. Like, what is work-life balance nowadays? Like, uh, what is that? <laughs> is, it, is it even a thing? <laughs> like, is it really? <laughs> right. I know. Yeah. I asked myself that. Right. Exactly. But I think it's just because it has such a different meaning for everybody. But I think the common theme behind it, and you and I kind of talked about this concept, just establishing healthy boundaries. And that's how you're able to create this quote unquote work-life balance, whatever that could possibly mean for you. And I think being in the wellness industry can definitely provide you a different type of perspective of what that really is and what that looks like. Mm -hmm. So in your perspective, what is this to you? Like, how can we achieve this? How can we create these healthy boundaries to make sure that we are starting to seek uh, a work-life balance? Yeah. I mean, what I love about the wellness industry is that there's no one-size-fits-all approach. That comes to diets, that comes to fitness, that comes to really anything, right? There's no you know, one secret solution for everyone. And I think, you know, just as much as for, you know, your physical health, you know, you go on your own personal journey and see what works for you. I never prescribe anyone a particular diet or workout. Same goes with, you know, setting those work-life balance boundaries. And so for me personally, I love the term work-life integration. I think that framework really helped take off the pressure of, you know, you're not going to turn off at 5 p.m., especially as an entrepreneur. And and most jobs, even, you know, if other friends I chat with, they don't turn off. But, you know, for perspective, my best friend is my roommate and my co-founder. My boyfriend is also a customer and, you know, a soft advisor. You know, there's such a blur. But I think, you know, just accepting that it's going to be integrated and, you know, if anything, it's kind of fun to build with your community. I, you know, DM our customers all the time and they follow me on Instagram. They see my stories and, and on one hand, it could be like, oh, that's kind of weird. But it's at the same time, it's cool. Like I like to take them along and, and I love to, you know, share the, share like my life with, with others. And, you know, there is a boundary set too, is that, you know, I don't post like everything. That's a personal boundary for mine. I know other people have different boundaries and they enjoy sharing a lot more or even less. Um, that being said, for me personally, where I've become more intentional in setting boundaries is the technology. I love, as you're saying, you know, it's, it's a fine line. There's pros and cons. There's great inspiration. I love creating content. It's, it feeds my soul to create. 
but it's also a fine line to not get sucked into comparison envy or, or just losing productivity. You get sucked in. It's designed to suck you in. And so for me, hiring someone to manage our social account and to engage with our customers has been huge for my mental health. And um, two things that I cut out for me personally, again, this is for me, I don't watch TV and I don't drink alcohol. And those two things have significantly optimized pro my productivity and just how I allocate my time. And, you know, cutting those two out allowed me to prioritize things that do benefit me as a business owner, which is sleep and working out. So finding whatever works for you is, is how I'd frame it, but those are what work for me. Oh, that's amazing. Now I'm like reflecting back when TikTok first came out a few years ago and I found myself just sitting there for a whole hour and I'm like, what am I doing right now? I got better things to do than this. Yeah. You, you literally blocked out. And, and I think like watching, you know, the documentary, um, I think it was like the social experiment. I, I can't remember mm. what it's called, but just understanding that they are literally designing it kind of like the way food scientists design potato chips with a salt to fat ratio to make you crave it. Same with technology. It's designed to make you come back. They gamify it. They trigger notifications a certain way to get you to come back. And it's just understanding that can help you snap out of it faster and be more intentional about it. Mm, and you nailed it. It's all about like actually recognizing that, that there is an opportunity for you to get sucked in. So the sooner that you recognize it, the better and easier it is for you to get out. Yeah, 100%. So you touched on a little bit about um, kind of like the co-founder story, and I really want to learn a little bit more about that. You know, for me personally, I love the fact of having co-founders, and I think it's so powerful because, you know, we've got those aged old sayings and lessons, whereas, you know, if you do it alone, you can go fast, but if you do it with the team and with others, you can go far. There's a difference. And um, I believe you mentioned that initially you were a solo entrepreneur, you were a solo founder, and that is tough, tough work. Yeah. So at what point, can you kind of talk about your process or how did you know that it was time to have a co-founder? Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, when you start it on your own, obviously you're very protective and who other than you would care so much and, and put in the time and, and equity and sweat work, especially when you're not paying anyone? Um, to, to come on board and share that equal vision. And so a beautiful piece of advice, my friend who was also a former founder, founder of other companies, she said, get a co-founder, find someone who compliments you. It's lonely at the top. And those words were so sobering in that, you know, I'd rather have someone there beside me because it's an up and down roller coaster and there's a amazing highs and there's also really low lows and to have someone there with you just for the mental health aspect is great but also just for the building mode right it's two is better than one always and you know in that process you know I didn't want to just bring on anyone it had to be someone that I trusted it had to be someone that I could really lean on and someone that I knew would work as hard as me and for anyone, you know, exploring that, just like look for characteristics of those people in, in your orbit or ask around or just observe. And so I will say I got very lucky. I hit the founder, co-founder jackpot um, in finding Nikki. So she and I worked together at Equinox. We we're both fitness instructors. And what really captivated me about her is that she just hustled. She would very much had a very similar schedule as mine where she would teach 5 a.m. workout classes and then go work at PwC in, in an M&A world. And it was very intense hours. She was just such a dedicated, uh, you know, hardworking professional. And then she would go back and teach again. And so she had that duality of 
working really hard, being very smart and driven, but also this love for fitness and wellness that, you know, very much was aligned with me. So it was an equal alignment in values and, and work ethic that it was just such a natural fit. And then, you know, learning more about her background and seeing how it perfectly balanced out mine. So for context, I come from a marketing sales project management background, and she came more from finance and operations. So it's just perfectly filling the gaps that I needed filled. Um, and so bringing her on was very natural. I would already ask her for advice and help and, and her feedback and seeing how she lit up and she got energized by working with me on this. It, it really made it such an easy transition to bring her on as a co-founder. That's so refreshing. And I love the fact that you really recognized and acknowledged the qualities that you can't learn, that you can't teach somebody. Um, while yes, the technical skills are fantastic and that is so, so incredibly necessary when you're building and growing a business. But I think the other more important part behind it is actually just having the grit, having the passion, having the dedication. That's something that people can't learn. That's something that people can't like research on Google or try to read a book about. It's really something that has to be instilled with you from the very beginning. Yeah. And, and what I really loved about Nikki is that she's just such a self-starter and half the time we're learning as we go. 90% of the time we're learning as we go. So, you know, anytime there was something we didn't figure out or we didn't know how to do instead of her asking me or coming to me or ever, she never complained. She'd always just go figure it out around. She'd Google it, she'd YouTube it. And that's just the mindset that we have. And that's really what I knew early on is like, I made the right decision because she's so, so nimble and agile and ready to jump in and pick up boxes and pack up orders just as well as she could, you know, model out spreadsheets. So it's, it's that mindset of, can you jump in and get your hands dirty, but can you also, you know, bring that level of, you know, high level strategic thinking to a business mm. that is what you need? Oh yeah, definitely. Are there ever any uh, kind of situations or scenarios or even like what is the current state right now of the relationship? You know, how are you creating those healthy boundaries between the both of you? Yeah, I mean, it's. I'll, I'll be perfectly honest. It's it's not easy having that much intersection with someone. You know, like I said, we're best friends. We're also roommates, so we share living space together. Um, we work together, so it's a kind of like a co, like working living situation, and that's a lot. And you know, when you throw in working in a startup, when you throw in being in a pandemic, um, it's a pressure cooker. And you know, I think what's really good about our dynamic is that. We're both really strong communicators and we know each other's communication style. So I communicate a certain way, she communicates a certain way. And it's just understanding and knowing, you know, what that, how that person likes to be spoken to. Can you self-reflect on yourself and be like, okay, is my tone and my, my words coming out the right way? And just being able to release any ego of, you know, you might be wrong or, you know, how can you work together? And I think we always prioritize the team first, the company first, and then, you know, our relationship first, because that would all implode if we didn't do that. Um, and we're both in therapy. I think that's so important to prioritize your mental health and just really understand, okay, what narrative are you bringing into the situation? Is it like anxiety or insecurity of like this past thing that you're not doing good enough? And, and then you're bringing that into the business. And so it's this mindfulness that we are both constantly working on. And it's always a pro like work in progress of, you know, how can we make sure that, you know, we're not bringing our own personal issues into the company, into our relationship. 
And, you know, it's also prioritizing time apart, right? So Nikki travels to San Francisco where we first started our company uh, to visit her like really strong group of friends there or goes back home to Minnesota or I'll like spend the night elsewhere at my boyfriend's to kind of give ourselves some breathing room. And I think that's really healthy for us. Um, and just kind of doing our own activities and hobbies sometimes or separate workouts or separate things I think is, is really good for us to kind of take our space so that we can come back together stronger. But ultimately like any relationship communication is really important and um, just kind of not being afraid to have those difficult conversations of, okay, what is bothering you? What am I doing? What is some feedback we could give each other to ultimately be a stronger unit? Oh my gosh. This is so incredibly beautiful. You know, the main thing about this too that I'm really resonating with is a lot of the times, unfortunately, when organizations or people take a look at co-founders, it's so heavy. My, it's always like such a heavy focus on the business side, but how you're describing how much effort you are putting into your relationship, it truly is a partnership. And that's one of the most important parts when you're thinking about onboarding a co-founder. It's not just a co-founder. I mean, goodness, it's basically partner. a business marriage. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's basically a life partner. Yeah, we joke around that we're like both moms to like kids and and like the work life. It's, it's like the most, the deepest relationship I think either of us have had. And so- at the same time, it's. It, I think that's our competitive edge. And I've mm-hmm. chatted with so many investors and they're like, we would not even consider you for investment if you didn't have a co-founder. And, yeah. and I it, wouldn't rush into a co-founder relationship because I've also heard of horror stories of founder breakups. Mm-hmm. And that oh, yeah. really can completely distract a, a company or just, or just slow you down a lot. And so there's definitely a thoughtfulness I would obviously advice for, but uh, it definitely makes you stronger for fundraising. It makes you stronger for accelerating and, and stronger just, you know, as, as founders for mental health to, to have someone there with you. Oh, yes. Thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that. Well, now I want to learn more about Lavi. Let's talk about that a little bit. You guys just went through an exciting, exciting rebrand. Um, incredibly, incredibly amazed, by the way, by the new packaging. I'm so excited to be able to try it. Um, can I talk about it? Like, What was the process you went through before realizing that a rebrand was necessary? Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So, I mean, how we started. So, we first started with a different name and then there was a trademark issue with a company that was ultimately bullying us to rebrand even though we owned our mark so then we quickly changed to a lobby which is our last names together so we're like all right no one has our names together this checks out and um from there we uh really rushed it so we had like probably a week to completely rebrand a whole company which you know, it might not sound like a lot, but it really is from packaging, from your website, from you know everything, every single thing you have to completely revamp. And so we pulled all nighters, not sleeping, just testing everything and working on our website and changing our packaging in time. Because if we're not in the market, we literally lose money without product in the market. And so it was a rush job. And before we had these mountain logos on it, and it was kind of this like mountain design on our packaging because we thought a lobby elevate, elevate yourself. There should be a mountain, right? And I just like laugh looking back at just the simple mindedness of, of what went into that. But, you know, we weren't, you know, we were literally just like go mode and we didn't think about it. And so just being in the market, which I think, you know, sometimes you just really don't know until you're in the market, right? And so it's okay to fail a little bit just to do as opposed to be paralyzed in the what ifs and, and waiting for so long. 
And so we were in the market and overall people love the name, but I think there was a disconnect between this premium, you know, luxurious, high-end, uh, you know, really thoughtful, intentional function snack we created and this packaging that looked like it should have been in like a camping REI store, which obviously our products do great, like are great for camping and, and outdoor ventures, but it's just so much more than that. And it was that disconnect where we saw people always thinking of us as like the hiking or the outdoor snack. And we're like, okay, we're this like daily functional, you know, modern aesthetic that, you know, we're not really communicating with the packaging and packaging is so important as a CPG brand. And so once we fundraised a little bit, we worked with a design uh, branding agency and they're fantastic and took the time we finally could take to work on, okay, what are our values, what are our mission, what are um, aesthetics that we're looking for? And we went through a whole process that we could go through, of, you know, what we wanted to look like and what our vision was. And then we took probably about four or five months from like initial design concept calls to finally, you know, that package being produced, that design being produced, and then going into production. It's a long, long time, a lot of work, but, you know, it, it's so worth it to make that investment in, uh, especially in the early days. But also I wouldn't get discouraged because bigger brands rebrand all the time uh, and it's way more expensive. Um, so, I mean, earlier you can do the better, uh, but also I wouldn't shy away from it's it's too late and never is too late. Um, you know, it's, it's really just like, what is the market looking like? What are your brand needs? You know, is this something that's going to really move the needle for your company? And we're already seeing so many dividends on, on our rebrand. Yeah, that's exactly it. And, you know, when you're thinking about the rebrand, what's so powerful about the process and really the overall strategy that you took was you don't rebrand just to do a rebrand. You rebranded because you were listening to the customer and how the marketplace was evolving and what they were looking for. Mm -hmm. And that's ultimately the reason why brands should. That's the only reason why brands should think about a rebrand. Is that right? 100%. Yeah. And and, you know, we just were noticing we weren't really considering or thinking big picture with a lobby and, and kind of this opportunity was a perfect way to think of, okay, we're more than a protein bar. We're already having different product lines, you know, in the queue and are about to come out. And so how do we take this opportunity to really expand and think big uh, as a company of, you know, what we stand for and what the future of a lobby will be? Mm, that's exactly it. So a question for you then on this, because, you know, sometimes whenever brands are thinking about a rebrand, I just said brand multiple times too. Um, so whenever a brand is thinking about a rebrand, there sometimes is actually this like underlying fear that, oh, like what if like the foundation of what our company was built on doesn't exist anymore? What if that disappears because of the rebrand? Did that ever cross your mind? And if it did, how did you combat that? What recommendations would you have for others? Yeah, so we did a lot of exercises, you know, in this whole process, asking ourselves, how do we want our customers to feel? Who is our target audience? Where do we see our products being sold? What are our values? What's our brand personality? How do we expect people to talk about us? How do we want them to talk about us? Um, you know, those questions are really important to ask just to really get clear on what is your foundation before and what do you think it'll be and, and what are you afraid of? I think it's kind of like, 
having those honest conversations, whether it's with a co-founder, with yourself, or with your agency of like, okay, what is it now? What do I want it to be? What do I not want it to be? I think asking those questions that maybe might be ruminating in your mind and having it down on paper is so powerful. Um, I think also having anchor words is also helpful to have as like the essence of your brand values, whether it's empowering or, you know, whimsical or, or whatever those words are, four or five of them. Um, I think it's great to have them as anchor points. Um, I would also Google, like, I think it's called like five personality, brand personality traits. It's kind of these different archetypes that provide a framework, whether it's sophisticated or, uh, you know, um, playful, or I can't remember them all, but they really do help kind of understand like where your brand falls and it might be one or two, but having that framework is so helpful just so that you don't get scatterbrained or, or kind of pulled in different directions because brand work, it really is confusing. It really forces you to ask questions. You get distracted, you change your mind a lot. And so I think having those focus words or framework are, are so critical so that you can stay consistent. Oh, that's exactly it. Can you share a little bit then, because you kind of like tapping into like what was the process. Can you talk a little bit more about like the behind the scenes and anything, any experiences that you had wished that you had known prior to? Yeah. I mean, step one was finding the right agency, which we had no idea. So, you know, that's a whole process that no one really talks about is finding the right one, which A, you know, have your budget. Uh, so that's really key. Take calls with people even outside of your budget just to understand their process, what they think about. And sometimes just taking calls with, you know, reach agencies that work for really high profile customers that you admire. Um, you know, it's just great to get their feedback. They're like, hey, what do you think of just like initial of what we are right now? Sometimes they'll share, sometimes they won't, but it doesn't hurt to just have those conversations and get into the practice mode of, of communicating what you want. Right. And, and I think sometimes brands think that, Oh, the brand agency is supposed to decide for them. And I, the right one, in my opinion, is that it's a collaborative approach. So really finding an agency that just won't kind of give their idea and make you do it. It's kind of like, do they involve you? Do they ask your opinion? Do they kind of make this, this iterative, iterative collaborative approach? At least that was what was important for us because Nikki and I are so hands-on. Um, so I would recommend, you know, just asking for referrals within your network. Um, so we got our agency through a referral from these two amazing guys who we respected their brand and, and loved what they did with their, you know, brand packaging and they're kind of in this adjacent, you know, performance category. Um, and then, you know, articulating, once we found our agency, it was articulating, you know, our concept, our desire, our mood boards, you know, have those ready for them, you know, be as involved as you can. I would say it's kind of like meeting a wedding planner. I've never got married, but... I would imagine it's kind of similar to that where you go to your wedding planner. It's not like they do everything for you. You come to them and you're like, okay, this is like the aesthetic I like. This is what I don't like. This is what I want to shy away from. This is the mood. This is the vision. Um, and so kind of being as active as you can will just make it so much easier for everyone. Um, and, and being really, you know, cognizant of, of how much time and work this is going to take. You know, I think Nikki and I didn't realize, you know, how intense it would be. And for such perfectionists, we're not, going to not be involved and not make sure it's exactly what we want. So it definitely took a lot of energy and resources for us to, you know, take the calls and go through revisions. And, and then from there, once you have the actual packaging, it's okay. Working with your packaging vendors to revamp all, everything, make sure that that works with your co-manufacturer and, and that, you know, everything really looks how it, how you expect it to look. Um, I would also say do research, especially if retail is part of your strategy of, you know, see how it sits on retail or how does it photograph? How does it, you know, look online? Um, I think those, those, um, 
those key factors are really important because you want to make sure that, you know, the customer understands like what you're saying from the words to the packaging, to the design, because they're ultimately going to market it for you. You won't be there in the retail store or be there always to, to tell people about your product. So can the product speak for itself uh, just with what you're seeing uh, is re- also a really important thing to think about. Oh my goodness. It is so refreshing to hear how thoughtful and intentional you were throughout this entire process. Um, And I honestly think that's the only way to actually make any sort of rebrand successful. And it's an active learning process along you go. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, that's why, you know, in CPG, what they don't tell you is that you don't really have true IP or you have a trademark, but you don't have that much intellectual property like tech, for instance, right? Mm -hmm. So your competitive advantage is sure your formula, you know, you own that, but it's really your brand and your brand starts with your packaging. And so it's such a worthy investment to make sure your packaging and your brand is strong because that's really how people are going to resonate with you and why they're going to buy you over someone else. And so it's, it's really important to be intentional about it because that's really, you know, what sets you apart. Mm, completely agree. Well, future facing any exciting things coming up that we can expect from you and Alavi? Yeah. So I briefly touched on this before, but we're launching a brand new product line that is plant-based. So our company is very much, you know, in the mission of helping elevate modern nutrition, right? So it's an extension of that. It's a completely new product line. So we'll not have collagen in it. And being plant-based is definitely something that I am really actively trying to listen to our customers. That was a very highly requested option was providing something that is hundred percent vegan. We want to be accessible to as many people as possible. And so I'm really excited to launch out with this. It's something that's never been done before. Um, I can't say too much just yet because my PR team will be upset with me, Um, (laughs) but it will be launching in the new year in Q1. And we're just so excited to just continue our mission of helping people stay healthy on the go in the most delicious, convenient way. And and just with this thoughtfulness of, you know, delivering powerful ingredients to, to keep your body strong. Oh, that's so exciting. Me personally, like, I'm so excited to try that product, by the way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Girl, you and I both. <laughs> <laughs> well, final question for you. If you could give advice to a young woman that is designed to be a future entrepreneur, what would you share with them? I love this question. I would say never underestimate your power. I think as women, we have this natural ability to build community, to connect, to share a story, to empathize, and to create women are just such powerful creators. Like we literally create. And I think in the entrepreneur world, we often second guess ourselves. Um, But I just want every young woman to know that we have strengths that might not be the loudest or aggressive as our male counterparts, but we have other powers and that we can make authentic connections more easily. And and people buy from people they like. And so I would just lean into your power and and never underestimate it, whatever that power or that, you know, strength is, uh, because that's really what's going to set you apart and, and get you ahead. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you, Michelle, for your time. And as mentioned, make sure to check out Alavi, a modern wellness brand delivering elevated nutrition to support optimal physical and mental health. Looking to hear more about what's happening in the health, wellness, and sports industry? Subscribe to this podcast and we'll catch you next time on The Drift.